Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. As you've probably figured out by now, we are preaching on, or I am preaching on, the book of Galatians. But we as a church have been going through this for a few months now, going through all things law and gospel and what it means to live by faith. We've taken a little break. Now we're back into things. And so I thought naturally I would begin talking about unemployment. (laughs) Not what you're expecting, perhaps, but maybe this might speak to a few of you. I don't know. Um, So I am in my 20s, and one of the common struggles that I hear and see and come across is that of life experience. Can anyone relate? Okay, cool. So in the wise words of Zac Efron, (laughs) to get a job, we need experience. To get experience, we need a job. And it's just this kind of never-ending cycle where things just get really confusing. Um, And so... I know for many people, this is a real frustration because, you know, you've worked hard, you've dreamed the dreams, you've done the study, you know you're gifted, this is your moment, right? Like, this is your opportunity and you're meant to be there. But somehow between you and where you want to be, there's just all this red tape. There's just all this extra hard work that you have to do. And so we find we're having to work harder, try to tick all the boxes, and it just leads to this cycle of exhaustion and anxiety and never really feeling like we're good enough. I don't know if anyone can relate to this. (laughs) But thankfully, there's another way, and I personally have been really blessed not to have to struggle with this too much so far. And this is the way of it's not what you know, it's who you know. So my very first job, I was really blessed to um, get a job back at my high school where they employed a whole bunch of us to work in learning support for a year, which was an amazing opportunity. I still don't quite know how they let us into that, but it was awesome, and I was really, really blessed through that. My second job, I was working at a primary school in Osh, and my dad just so happened to be the pastor at the church that was connected (laughs) to the school. He might have put in a good word or two. My current job, yes, I did have to go through the interview process like a real grown-up, but it was really helpful to have some connections to the school, to even know the job was coming up. My sister went to the school, so it all worked together really really well in the end. And so we find we actually have these two ways that we see playing out in our world, the way of what you do and the way of who you know. Mm. So I wonder if you guys can relate to this. Today's passage is actually a contrast between these two ways, the way of what you do and the way of who you know or trust, the way of the law and the way of faith. And so I've called today's sermon, Two Ways to Live. Sadly, when many think of Christianity, and I don't know whether this is true for you, All they think of many times is the way of what you do. I actually had a really interesting conversation with a student at school recently where he came up to me and he's like, Miss, Miss, I'm I'm a Christian, but but I don't believe in God. (laughs) That was just kind of like, okay. (laughs) So what do you think being a Christian is? And he said to me, oh, you know, it's like you follow all the rules and stuff. And I was like, okay. So 
who do you think made all the rules? And I don't want to stop with that because I don't think that's a full description of Christianity. And thankfully, our conversation continued from that point. But I think this points to a broader trend of how people tend to view Jesus and what it means to live by faith. And perhaps this impression of Christianity rings true for you as well. If that is the case, I want to encourage you to be open today to meeting God here and letting him challenge your expectations. So what we see in Galatians is that what God has to offer us is so much more and so much better than this way of just trying to follow all the rules, which we've already established is just really exhausting. (laughs) Eugene Peterson, in his introduction to Galatians in the message version, makes this really cool and interesting statement, and I'm just going to read a little bit of it. When men and women get their hands on religion, one of the first things they often do is turn it into an instrument for controlling others, either putting them or keeping them in their place. The history of such religious manipulation and coercion is long and tedious. It is little wonder that the people who have only known religion on such terms experience release or escape from it as freedom. The problem is that the freedom turns out to be short-lived. Now, it might surprise you that I'm actually reading that out in church, but I just want to realize there is a little bit of truth in that, and there is a lot of truth in that. And as a result, our culture tends to view religion through this lens. There's this secular narrative that goes loosely like this. Once upon a time, in the height of Christendom, probably, you know, sometime during the Middle Ages, everyone was a Christian. Everyone went to church, whether they wanted to or not. But now, in the modern era, we've kind of just like grown up, you know, we've put on our big boy pants, we've graduated, moved on from that. You know, we've freed ourselves from the archaic shackles of religion and this control of these corrupt institutions and authorities and things are just better this way. And while I said there may be a little bit of truth in the history of control and those kinds of things in religion, this is ultimately a bit of a caricature of Christianity and it doesn't capture the heart of what faith in Jesus really means. And so that is what we'll be addressing today in the book of Galatians. Now when the way of the law is all we have experienced, release or escape from it is experienced as freedom. Another term for the way of the law is legalism. Now this is something that can kind of be thrown around and weaponized within Christian circles a little bit, so I just want to settle on a quick definition of it by John Piper. Legalism is the conviction that law-keeping is the grounds of our acceptance with God. So God being for us or against us depends entirely on what we do. And I want to make it very clear. This is bad. This is not Christianity. But Eugene Peterson also makes another point, one that is a little more challenging, a little more countercultural in our contemporary society, and that is that the freedom found in a total abandonment of faith or religion tends to be short-lived. Now, friends, this is where Jesus comes in, because he was actually caught in the middle of this same tension. He on one side had the Pharisees, who were very religious, who liked to point the finger at everyone else and tell them what they should do, while not even keeping the law perfectly themselves. And on the other hand, we also have this trend towards people who want to discard the law entirely. So how does Jesus deal with this? Well, on the one side, he doesn't side with the Pharisees hypocritically looking down on others. But on the other hand, what he offers isn't a total abolishment, a total deconstruction of the law or running away from all that, it's an eradication of all that it had to offer. 
Instead, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of this tension, he points us to an entirely new way. He doesn't point us back to the way of the law, back to the way of rule keeping, trying to perfectly earn God's acceptance by our performance. No, he points us forward on the way of faith and the true freedom and new life that is found in him. And so thankfully, Paul is on all about this in the book of Galatians. So let's jump into today's passage. Now, it's been a little while since we've gone into this series. I just want to do a quick recap. So, previously on Galatians, <laughs> Galatians 3, chapter 1, Paul gets spicy. He's a little bit ticked, it is safe to say. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, often we will read this verse kind of like, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That is not how Paul would read this. Paul was ticked. You know, we want to be all respectful because it's like the Bible and everything, but he was mad. He was really mad because he had raised up these people in the faith and they were running away. So he's like, you foolish Galatians, you know, what are you doing? Now, the answer is, who has bewitched you? Well, these guys. Now, these are the Judaizers. So a little bit of history of the context. We have these two different groups who have been united under Jesus, the Jewish Christians and the Gentiles, or the non-Jewish Christians. And at the beginning, these two groups who had historically had so much animosity, like so much disagreement between them, were united under Christ. But the Judaizers, they were trying to rip this all up. They were trying to tear this all apart, saying, no, 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 we can't be united. It is all about following the law. We actually want to divide people on the basis of the law and what they do. And more than that, worse than that, on the basis of their ethnicity. And so we find this division within the Galatian church where there's all these different people saying different things. This person said this, and this person said this, and this person said this, and who was Paul? We didn't really remember anymore. There's just all these voices, and the guy that I follow, he's better than the guy that you follow, and yep, yep, we, you know, we've got all of these different voices flying around. So Paul, he walks into this discussion, and the first thing he does in the book of Galatians is try to establish, like, guys, you know me. I'm legit, okay? (laughs) You can trust me, this is why. And he's going through all of this. Um, But in Galatians 3, he actually moves on. He's like, fine, all right. If you're not going to listen to me, then maybe you'll listen to someone else. You see, the Jews followed the law of Moses. They were set apart. They were known as God's chosen people. And it's safe to say Moses was a pretty big deal, you know, in Jewish, Jewish thought. But you know who was an even bigger deal? Abraham. And so Paul walks into this conversation and he kind of drops the trump card. He's like, okay, you guys are going to listen to me? Here's Abraham for you. (laughs) And so this is a real power move by Paul, uh, which we understand in the context of Old Testament history. Um, So the really interesting thing is to be Jewish, yes, is to be God's chosen people. But you know what else Jewish, to be Jewish was? It was literally known as to be a son of Abraham. And so Moses is, uh, Paul is like, you want to follow all of Moses' laws and elevate him? Well, here's Abraham. In fact, God introduced himself to Moses as the God of Abraham. So let's just leave that there. He's like, if you guys want to argue, we were here first. I think that spot's already been taken. So... There's this whole power dynamic going on. The question is, why is this important? Because before God gave the law to Moses, he made a promise to Abraham. Mm. 
So I'm just going to read from Genesis chapter 12 what this promise was. The Lord had said to Abram, that was his name before he became Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. We see here Abraham is blessed to be a blessing. So unlike what the Judaizers were saying, God was not setting up some kind of ethnic hierarchy, some kind of this race is better than that race because they're my favourites or they're somehow better than everyone else. No, no. God chose this family so that they would become the channel through which he then went on to bless the whole world. That was God's purpose from the very beginning. One large, multi-ethnic, multicultural, diverse family relating to him on the basis of faith. Now this is good news for the Galatians. And I think in our society we can agree it is good news for us too. But it does raise one question. And maybe this is kind of tickling in the back of your mind. Why the heck did God give the law then? Like, what was that all about, you know? Why did he bother giving it to Moses? And Paul does address this. So I'm going to go through a few points on this. First thing to note about the law is God gave his people the law. So Paul recounts God gave his laws to Moses. When we think of this, we often think of like the Ten Commandments, right? They're probably like the the highlight reel of the laws. Um, But there were actually 613 laws in the Old Testament Torah. Has anyone ever tried to feel like, to keep 613 laws at the same time? Like that's, that's a hefty effort. <laughs> now, what are we meant to do with all of this? Anyone who's doing the Bible in one year and who made it through Leviticus, firstly, well done. Um, and secondly, you know that there is a lot of rules. What are we meant to do with all of this? Are we meant to just like rip it up and burn it and throw it out? Like sometimes it feels like it would be easier, but what are we meant to do with this? And then what do we do with Psalm 119? This is literally the longest chapter in the Bible where the psalmist declares, Lord, I love your law. Longest chapter in the Bible, fully dedicated to celebrating what? God's law. And more than that, in the New Testament, Jesus is asked to summarize what's the law all about. He says this, love God and love people. So if we really could get rid of the law, my question is, would we really want to? So what I'm arguing, what Paul is arguing here, is that the law in itself, given by God, is actually a good thing. Mm. But the second point is this. We can't live up to it. Paul speaks about the futility of trying to earn God's approval, earn his acceptance, earn a sense of being good enough, a good enough person by following the law. He makes the case, if you want to go about things that way, you can't just obey a little bit. You had better obey the whole lot. Okay? The message puts it this way. The obvious impossibility of carrying out such a moral program should make it plain that no one can sustain a relationship with God that way. No one. And this is the problem with the caricature of Christianity that I mentioned earlier, where it's all about rule keeping. You see, if Christianity is all about rule keeping, well, we've all failed already. Mm. Mm. If it's 
It's all about being a good person. And God is the one who sets the standards for that. His ways are so much higher than my ways. We couldn't possibly measure up. Mm. Like, seriously, you might as well just give up now. Go home. (laughs) But thankfully, God didn't make rule keeping the way to be made right with him. The message also tells us this. The reason why I'm using the message translation is because Galatians 3 is hard to understand and it actually breaks it down in some language that helps us understand it. So this is really helpful. (laughs) For if any kind of rule keeping had power to create life in us, we would certainly have gotten to it by this time. What this is saying is, you know, if this was the way, surely someone in humanity by this point would have found the silver bullet. They would have figured it out. But here we are. Instead, God gave us the law for two reasons. The first purpose of the law is to show us our sin. Now, this sounds really depressing, but let's read this from Galatians 3. The scriptures have declared that we are all prisoners of sin, so the only way to receive God's promise is to believe in Jesus Christ. Mm. So what this is saying is the law rules out all other other options pointing to Jesus as the only way. Now, Tim Keller takes this and talks about the application of this to the Christian life in this way. Unless we see how helpless and profoundly sinful we are, the message of salvation will not be exhilarating or liberating. Unless we know how big our debt is, we can't have any idea of how great Christ's payment was. If we think that we are not all that bad, The idea of grace will never change us. Now, it can be easy to see that in a kind of abstract theological sense, but I want to make this a little more personal for a moment. So I was reading a book recently, um, The God I Don't Understand, because there's a lot of things about God that I and others don't understand. Um, And it talked about the role of shame in the world that we live in. Um, And it was talking about freedom from shame and the way that the cross of Christ brings freedom from shame. So I'm just going to read a quote from this. Alone with God and the memories of the past, the Christian can quite properly feel the most acute inner sense of shame and disgrace. It is not, however, a destructive or crushing emotion. I just want to pause there. It's been transformed through Jesus. Rather, it is the core fuel for genuine repentance and humility and for the joy and peace that flow from that source alone. Because when I remember my sins, I know that my God does not. There is freedom found in this. And so we see that when the law and grace work together in Christian salvation, it leads to this sense of joy and relief at the new life that Jesus is giving you and me. Many people want a sense of joy and acceptance in their relationship with God, but they don't want to pay the price of actually admitting the seriousness of their sin. They'll not listen to the Lord's searching and painful analysis of their hearts and lives, and it is painful. It can feel like heart surgery. So Tim Keller finishes with this. The Lord shows us as we really are, and so the law points us to see Christ as he really is. Thank you. Our saviour, redeemer, and the only way. The second purpose of the law as a temporary quarantine. 
Now, before you all get like a nervous eye twitch and wonder where I'm going with this, I just want to get you to close your eyes and recall your lockdown experience. Mm, you're the groans already. Some words that come to mind are stressful, restricted, isolated, frustrated, depressed, lonely. Okay, you can open your eyes now. NT um, right likens the law given to Moses to a temporary quarantine regulation. I didn't make this up. Um, the whole of humanity is infected with a disease. The Bible calls this sin. And whether you want to use this language or not, us in 2021, we cannot deny the brokenness of the world that we live in. The Bible talks about four dimensions of brokenness. The brokenness of relationship between humans and God. The brokenness of relationship between humans and humans. The brokenness of relationship between humans and creation. And the brokenness of relationship with humans within themselves. And so, as we live in this world that's just full of brokenness and disease and hurt and pain, what says the great healer? The good news of Christianity and of Jesus is that we have not been left on our own. God has not just left us to stew in our own brokenness. No. The great healer has stepped in and he has made a promise. He has made a way. He made a promise to Abraham that he would not leave his people. He said, I choose you. I call you. I am making you into a great nation. Your name will be blessed and the whole earth will be blessed through you. So then why the quarantine? Because the people, the ones designated as God's healers, and the doctors were infected by the same disease. The Old Testament shows us story after story of the Israelites sinning, story after story of God's heartbreak at his people who he's chosen and called and longs to redeem through his love, turning against him and saying, no, God, I'm going my own way. And the sin and brokenness and destruction that comes as a result of that. And so we get into these two dynamics of quarantine, which I think we all understand. The first dynamic of quarantine is that of protection. See, God had given his promise to Abraham, but the promise was yet to be fulfilled. So in the meantime, God gave his law to protect his people. The vaccine, the cure was on its way, but for now, the people had to quarantine. Now, no one loves quarantine, <laughs> but in a funny way, we do love the freedom and protections that it gives. Our state, South Australia, is so lucky and so blessed to not have had to deal with COVID in the same way that so many other places in Australia and across the world have. And I would argue that one of the reasons for that is because we've had such strict quarantine regulations. Now, regardless of what you think of them, I know in my circles there are very few people that I've run into who've actually wished that we'd had more freedom in those situations. Most people I've spoken to have been grateful for those restrictions because they have protected us. They have kept us safe. So yes, we're hating it in the meantime, but we also get the purpose behind this. 
Say we were to remove all restrictions, all boundaries. You can all take off your mask and go and do whatever you want. Please don't. Um, <laughs> what would that lead to? It would lead to outbreak. It would lead to sickness, disease, running rampant. It would lead to death. In the same way, for God gives the law to his people as a protection. Anyone who works with children or is a parent will get the dynamics of this. If you just let the kids do whatever they want, it might sound like a good idea for five minutes, but it will turn to chaos. In the same way, God gives his boundaries as a protection and a good thing. The second dynamic of quarantine that we all understand better than we would like is that of distance. So you and I get better than almost anyone at any time in history, the the relationship between distance and disease. So the distance that disease creates, we've experienced this. You know, beyond social distancing, there's been isolation, loneliness, a lack of physical touch for some people who are living alone. Perhaps at the moment, they're not even given the opportunity to see an unmasked human face. Just let that sink in for a minute. And so we see in the same way, Paul tells us that God gave the laws to Moses as a mediator between God and his people. The people's disease meant that they could no longer enter into God's presence. They could no longer meet him face to face. And so God set up Moses and the law as a mediator between them. They even needed laws and sacrifices to govern and mediate the brokenness of their relationships with one another. If anyone's ever had a broken relationship where you've had to get a mediator or someone in between to try and heal that relationship, you'll get this. But I kind of like to liken this to a little bit of ceremonial social distancing, where, they, where we have hand sanitizer and QR code check-ins to keep disease at bay. They had ceremonial laws and sacrifices to atone for sin. This, Paul tells us, was the purpose of the law, to show us our sin, and to protect us from its harmful effects. Very good, Taylor. But that is not the end of the story. Because God's promised healing is coming. We get a glimpse of it in Abraham, and in fact now it is already here. Mm -hmm. Because before Moses, there was Abraham. Before God came to Moses with the law, he came to Abraham with a promise. Before, well, Moses was a mediator, but Abraham had a first-hand encounter, pointing towards the relationship with God that we can now access through the Holy Spirit. Friends, that's why we call ourselves Encounter Church. So Paul shows us these two ways to live, the way of the law and the way of faith. The law says, here you are and here God is, and you could never be clean enough. You could never be whole enough for him. So we're going to set up all of this red tape. You need to follow all the rules, tick all the boxes, and then probably not, but maybe if you try hard enough, you might be good enough. You might be accepted in. And so it leads to this sense of uncertainty and anxiety and worry and striving and holding our breath and hoping to measure up. It leads to these beliefs and lies that we carry around within ourselves. You're not good enough. You're not worthy. You'll never measure up. You'll never be worthy of love. And that is not how God intended us to live. 
And thankfully, we are not people of the law. God may have come to Moses with the law, but he comes to us with a promise. He he said to Abraham before he had done anything, I choose you. I am setting you apart. I will make your name great. I am calling you into something. I'm calling you into the opportunity to be the beginning of a legacy of a family through whom I will bless the entire world. That was his promise. But why? What did Abraham do to deserve all of this? Was he better than everyone else? Was he a better Christian? You know, he went to church every week. Was he somehow more holy than all the other people around him? Did he follow all the rules? No. The Bible makes it very clear that he did not. No. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. God made Abraham a promise and Abraham trusted him. And this has been God's purpose from the very beginning. Not to draw boundaries around who's in and who's out based on who follows the law best or even worse, race or ethnicity. No. God has always desired one large, united, worldwide family who relates to him on the basis of faith. This is the way of faith. Not us trying to climb the ladder, work our way up to God, hoping somehow to make it. But the God who comes down to us and meets us in the midst of our sin. God who would come in the form of a baby into the human world, into the vulnerability of that, because he loves his people so much that he chose to enter in. And so we see here the way of the law and the way of faith. The way of performance versus the way of promise. The the difference between the doer who strives to make it, strives to be good enough, and the believer who trusts God and the promise that he has given. The difference between the rules that say thou shalt and the God who says, I will. I will heal your brokenness. I will take away your pain. I will bring freedom to the captives. I will bind up the brokenhearted. I will heal your sickness. I will heal your diseases. I will take upon myself your sin and brokenness and shame. I will take the punishment, the oppression, the affliction that you are experiencing. And I will heal you from your sin. I will let myself be wounded for your sake. I will take the punishment. I will die so you can live. Quarantine is over. It is finished. God says, I have and I will. In Jesus, God's promise to Abraham is fulfilled. And so we read in Galatians, the real children of Abraham then are all those who put their faith in God. All who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Where sin is the disease, Jesus is the antibody. Try as we might, we can't heal ourselves 
As those in Melbourne and Sydney know, we can follow all the rules. We can try and keep ourselves as clean as possible. We can stay in lockdown, but at the end of the day, we can't heal ourselves. We can worry about the people outside our doors who aren't following all the rules. We can judge them, but ultimately that's not gonna bring healing. We can't control the spread of sin, just like we can't control the spread of COVID. And as those in the health system know, we can go out and we can do our best to heal others and make sure they follow all the rules. But in the end, I have to admit, this is bigger than me. I cannot atone for sin. And I will always still be vulnerable to the same disease. Sin is our disease and no one is immune. What we need is a deeper healing. We need the antibody. We need the one who can put an end to all of the distance, the brokenness, the distancing, the disease. We need Jesus, the only one who can enter in and rather rather than being infected by our sin can actually bring us healing. The one who has defeated sin and rendering it powerless can show us a new way to live. The one who can touch the untouchables. The one who can reach out to the leper. The ones who are excluded from community because they're considered too dirty, too diseased, too sinful. And say, no, 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 you're not going to contaminate me. I heal you. I touch you. I can enter into your brokenness, into your sin, into your shame. He says that we are clean. He says that we are loved. He says that we have been made whole. We are now redeemed, healed people who have been made new in him. Healing has come and his name is Jesus. Yeah. This is the promise. So you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have been made like him. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. There's no longer distance between us and God. There's no longer distance between us and one another. We are all one in Christ Jesus, all part of God's family. In the way of Jesus, it's not about what you do. It's about who you know, who you choose to put your trust in. God is faithful and we trust his faithfulness because that's the only way we can enter in, the only way that we can be healed. So when it comes to accessing employment opportunities, it can be really frustrating. Trying to tick all the boxes, get all the experience, engage in all the extracurriculars just to prove our worth, just to be given a chance against the competition. And we find ourselves exhausted, defeated, run down. But you know who always has access? You know who never has to prove his worth? The son of the CEO. Mm. 
God calls us his sons and daughters, which means we've been welcomed in. The God that we love and trust, the God that we follow is an invitational God. He has existed eternally in loving relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three and one, diverse and yet united, all-powerful and yet self-giving. And the very source of life and love itself. So we find that he invites us into this relationship with him. And through him, he invites us into this same kind of relationship with one another. As a people who are diverse and yet united. As a people who lay down our lives and our preferences for one another, but are bonded in this community of love. This is what it means to be part of God's family. This is what it means to know and love and trust and follow him. And so we find we are no longer separated by our differences. No, we are bound together in him. And the Bible tells us that while we catch a glimpse of that here through the body of Christ, the church, it will be fulfilled in eternity. In the future, we can look forward to a time when all people will gather together and every nation, tribe, people, language and tongue will worship together God our Father United, no longer divided by differences, but all brought together under him. This is the promise that by faith we belong to one another and by faith we belong to him. So my question for you today is, as we hear this message, what is God pressing on your heart? What promises do you need to receive? Because he's calling out, he's reaching out, he has made a way. You don't need to earn your way to his love. He has already entered in. So what does he want to bless you with today? What is it that's been dividing, been distancing you from receiving God, from accepting his promises, from being welcomed in? Is it fear? Because he's made a way. He says his perfect love drives out all fear. Is it shame? I will never be good enough. I will never be welcomed in. God says, I have paid the price. It is finished. You are welcomed in. And my second question is, what promises do you want to pray over our world? As we look around this world that we live in, I don't know about you, but I don't see a world that's united. Every time we jump on social media, we just see more division. What promises do you want to pray? What promises of God do we want to bring into this reality that we live in? So we pray, God, your kingdom come. How can we pray for our world? Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.